such a catch and I'm Erin. One of the silver linings of this pandemic has been connecting with people I've lost contact with over the years. Not intentionally, but simply because our lives went in different directions and we live in different places geographically. Regardless of time and place, a friendship that has a solid foundation can be picked up right where you left off. And it has. A group Marco Polo between three of my girlfriends from high school and I has easily become one of the silver linings of this pandemic. It's been super therapeutic. They know my past. They were there through high school's growing pains, the good choices, the bad choices, the I can't believe we just did that moment, (laughs) and the farewells as we embarked on our separate paths post-graduation. You guys, we graduated in 1999. That's 21 years ago. How is that even possible? Ugh. A lot has happened in the days, weeks, months, and years since we got our diplomas. And as we've been sharing life's many and major milestones with one another, one of my friends shared her story of battling breast cancer. If you've been a faithful listener, you'll remember the She Can Do It, the empowerment series where women shared their purpose, their passion, and their story. Today, I decided to do a throwback to that series and allow my friend to share her story in hopes that it reaches the ears of someone who needs to hear the message. Know your body. Go to your annual woman's appointment. No excuses. And if you feel as if something is wrong, advocate for your health. If you don't, no one else is going to do it for you. I dedicate this episode to Kara, Kelly, and Jenny. True friends are never apart, maybe in distance, but never in heart. All right, so today I am fortunate enough to have one of my high school friends on the show. Her name is Jenny Blythe, and I know her as Hink <laughs> from back in the day. I Like, why did we even call you Hink? I don't um, even remember that. I just stuck. That was just always your name, and you're still saved to my phone, like in my phone as Hink to this day. Oh, time. that's funny. It was from a volleyball game. And Is that what it was? The, the referee called me Jeannie Hinky, and oh. then it became <laughs> Hink. <laughs> that is so funny. I have white claw brain, or else I would probably remember that. But yeah, <laughs> I'm like, my nickname back then was Ingrown because I had so many Ingrown toenails. Do you remember that? I literally have a, a hoodie from middle school upstairs, like a Parsons middle school hoodie, PMS, by the way, upstairs that says Ingrown on the back. <laughs> I'm proud to say it still fits though. So that's uh, exciting. That's <laughs> Something funny. from middle school. It hasn't like totally like unraveled yet. But Hink or Jenny and I have been talking <laughs> lately and she has a unique and special story to share. And as we were talking, I was like, you know, my listeners need to hear this because most of my listeners are our demographic. You know, we're in our, you know, middle to late 30s. <laughs> Can I even say that? It sounds awful to say, right? Oh my God, how are, we, how are we almost 40? But we are, we are. And like, 
as I was, you know, getting ready to dial in and, and to talk to Jenny, I'm like complaining about my foot and I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, we're just getting old. And like, you know what I mean? Life is just happening, but it's it's so true. And so over the past couple of years, Jenny has been dealing with something. And so she's going to share her story today. So Jenny, I'll kind of turn it over to you and let you kind of just start talking and yeah. Okay. So in 2016, I had just turned 35 in June and August 1st of 2016, I was diagnosed with stage 2B breast cancer and that kind of just unraveled my life <laughs> at the time. Yeah. I had a five-year-old son who had, he had just turned five. I was separated from my husband at the time and it was the scariest time of my life. I ended up having uh, a lumpectomy in September and then October, they started me on chemotherapy mm -hmm. and I went through 17 rounds of chemotherapy, which is pretty horrific. They do, for the specific type of cancer that I had, they did the first four rounds were a combination of adriamycin and cytoxin. Mm -hmm. And it is nicknamed the Red Devil. And this came from medical professionals. <laughs> wow. And my, the first four rounds were, I didn't know what to expect. And one of the adriamycin is actually, it's bright red. And mm -hmm. you see them pumping it into you, into your port. Some people choose not to get a port, but I did. And um, So how does the port work? So... For me, they put it on my left side because uh, the cancer was on my right side. Okay. So they put it in my chest and then they take a catheter and they loop it up through your neck and then down your chest. And for me, they had to, this is really graphic, but they had to carve a hole through my chest wall and then they insert it into your main artery that leads to your heart. So that way, every time your heart is pumping, you're pushing chemo all throughout your body. Wow. Mm -hmm. And then, so those four rounds were terrible. And then the fifth round, it was planned to switch me to a chemo called Taxol. Well, after that first round of Taxol, it basically started to eat my face and my hands and my feet. And it looked like I had dunked my hands in acid. Oh my God. It looked God. like my face was peeling off. It was just, I was covered in blisters everywhere. So they unfortunately stopped treatment because they said if they were to continue with Taxol, it would have killed me. And so they stopped for a few weeks. We went through that, which I was horrified and I was so upset. I cried and cried because that meant treatment got pushed back. Mm -hmm. I was going to be through hell for even longer. So finally, a couple weeks later, they started me on a new one. I can't, I believe it was called a Braxing. I could be wrong, but it, it was a little easier on my body and I was able to handle it. So I finished out 12 more rounds of that. So... 17 total, which was, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. It was that horrible. So when you get diagnosed, you know, I know you said you had stage 2B. So when they provide that diagnosis to you and they talk to you about the treatment, so just removing the lump isn't enough? Like, how do they determine, you know, what type of treatment or how many chemotherapy sessions you're going to have to have? Or do they even know when you 
are going through the process, it's kind of as you progress, they, you know, kind of pave the way for you or how, do, how does that work? Well, for me, initially, they thought I was stage one and mm-hmm. they didn't realize how invasive it was until surgery. When they were doing surgery, they removed the lump and then all the surrounding tissue to make sure they had clear margins. And then they do a lymph node dissection. So that's basically in your armpit and they remove the very first lymph node that's connected to your your breast area. Mm-hmm. And if that's positive for cancer, then they go in and start removing more. Okay. So I actually ended up having 21 lymph nodes removed from my armpit. Wow. And I ended up having seven lymph nodes that were actually filled with cancer. So they base your stage on the number of lymph nodes that are affected. Okay. I happen to have enough to be stage 2B. So they, they grade your stage, you're either A or B. Okay. I'm, I'm just like kind of thinking about <laughs> the process and how you're, you know, digesting it. And you're also dealing with relationship issues. And I'm assuming were you working at the time? I was when I was diagnosed. And then I ended up going on leave to take care of treatment. And actually in the middle of chemo, my company released my position. And so basically I didn't have a job to come back to once I was done. I was going to have to reapply or find a new job. So that was another. Are there laws out there to protect you? Like kind of how we have laws to protect, you know, women when they're pregnant, but you know, when you're diagnosed with a disease like this and, you know, and and you're going through chemo, I mean, I can't even imagine you're, you're talking about what it did to you physically, you know, we're not even touching yet on what it did to you mentally, you know, is there anything to protect you for that position when you come back or? There was, there are, there are laws against it, but the company I was working for, which I will not name. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no kind of you. <laughs> Privately, I'll tell you. They did everything that they could to basically just release my position so that they could refill it because they needed somebody there mm. at the time. I don't know how it was legal. I talked to an attorney at one point, but I was so sick that to me it wasn't yeah. worth fighting or trying to sue them over it. I just wanted to move on. And Mm -hmm. once I was done with treatment, I didn't bother going back. I just found a new company and I've been there. Mm -hmm. Anyone else feel like their confidence is struggling a bit in quarantine? I keep joking and saying, if I can just get my hair done, nails done and waxed, then I would be happy to go back into shelter in place for another 30 days. Kidding, not kidding. (laughs) One thing that has been uplifting and sparking joy during quarantine is receiving a daily postcard with a sweet message from my friend Kara. On Shelter in Place Day 41, she wrote, Snorts, funny, heart, love, thoughtful, generous, kind, fabulous, caring friend. You are always a light in my life. I don't know who else needs a Kara in their life, but I know she's helped me get through some rough days and reminded me of all I have to be grateful for on others. In the spirit of Kara, I'd like to pay it forward. If there's a gal you want to recognize in your life, I'd like to send her an empowerment pen with an uplifting message. Know who you'd like to recognize? Perfect. Here's all you have to do. Shoot me a quick email at erin at yoursuchacatch.com or DM me at yoursuchacatch. Let me know who you'd like to recognize and why. I will then send you a code and instructions to order a pen with a personalized message from my website, free of charge. All I ask is that when she receives her pen, she posts a pic and tags me, an indication that we made her day. 
And if it's you listening who needs a gentle reminder, a confidence boost, a reason to smile, reach out to me. I'm happy to be the friend who recognizes you. Remember, we're in this together. Full details and giveaway instructions can be found on my website, www.youresuchacatch.com backslash pin giveaway. So how long were you going through your treatment for? And, you know, what type of support did you have from friends and family? Like what got you through it? Well, I had chemo was about a little over six months. And then after chemo, I did radiation and that was 35 rounds of radiation. So it's basically a job. You're going there five days a week. So total, I want to say this all started in August of 2016 and I didn't finish radiation until May. And then after radiation, I had to go through physical therapy to gain functionality back in my right arm. Oh my goodness. Okay. And throughout the whole process, I kept asking my doctors, why did this happen to me? All my genetic testing came back negative and I was relatively healthy. I mean, I, I eat very well. I, I love organic food. I love to grow my own foods. Um, not a smoker. I don't mm-hmm. do drugs. I don't, I, nothing. And the only thing that I could think of that caused it was in 2010, we were trying really hard to have a baby and it just wasn't happening. I went through every single test you can possibly get to check your fertility. I was fertile, like 16 year old girl. And then my husband got tested and he had slow swimmers. <laughs> so it made it a little hard, you know, to yeah. get pregnant. Mm-hmm. And so we decided to do fertility treatments. And at that time, we, it only took one round and we got pregnant. And, and at that time, all I did was a drug called Clomid and it basically makes you release more eggs. So mm-hmm. you have the possibility of getting pregnant with multiple babies and I, it took the one time and I was good. We have our child, he's eight years old now and healthy as can be. I didn't have any complications really after the fertility treatment at that time and just some like hormonal changes. Mm -hmm. And then in 2015, we decided to try again. And this time we did the same thing. It was just Clomid and then the IUI that one didn't work. So we tried again. This time the fertility doctor kind of pushed and said, you know, maybe we should start looking at injectables. And so I started taking multiple oral medications. I was using suppositories that were estrogen and progesterone and then injectables. And And like when you say injectables, where were you injecting yourself? Like on on your waistline or? Yeah, in my abdomen. And it's similar to like if you're going to freeze your eggs or mm-hmm. if you're going to do IVF, but it's not as intense. IVF is way more intense mm-hmm. and, and same with egg freezing. So this time, the second time didn't work. Third time he bumped it up even more and it worked. Mm-hmm. And then I miscarried. And this was all in toward the end of 2015. And it was really just traumatic and 
they just said, you know, give us a call back once everything's clear and we'll try again. And I chose not to because I just, my body felt toxic at the time. Mm-hmm. And, and do you remember like your mental state of like how that was playing a role with everything too? Well, those hormones make you crazy. Yeah. And I mean, they legitimately like they're messing with the chemistry in your body and I was so depressed and so sad and I wanted so badly to have uh, a sibling for my son and and it wasn't working and and then it started to scare me because I'm like what am I putting in my body and you know I need to be a mom for him sorry for crying and no need to apologize You know, this is, this is tough stuff. Like, I, I mean, I don't even know how you're <laughs> functioning as great as you are today. You know what I mean? I mean, this is like heavy stuff. Yeah. So we chose to stop and give my body a break. And then eight months later, I was diagnosed. And before I was diagnosed, it was about a month or so before. And that's when I felt the lump. And... I kept thinking, what is this? This is so weird. It's not normal. This isn't, this is not normal for my body. And I, I knew I had an OB appointment coming up. So when I went to that appointment, I pointed it out to her. She kept saying, you're so young. I'm really not worried about it. I'm sure you're fine. I'm sure it's nothing. It's probably just a swollen lymph node. And I had to push and I had to push and I had to push at that appointment to get her to listen to me because she was going to send me home like nothing was wrong. And mm-hmm. turns out it was cancer. <laughs> so because I kept pushing and pushing and pushing, she finally was like, okay, we'll get you. Let's let's do a mammogram. Let's do an ultrasound. And once they did those, that's when they're like, okay, we need to biopsy this. And so it took about a week for all that testing to come back. And And what was the process like when you were waiting kind of for the test results? Did you feel like you already knew what the diagnosis was going to be or were you hopeful and just kind of, you know, wanting her to be like, no, you know, I was right or. Well, during that whole process, I was freaking out because when the ultrasound tech was doing the ultrasound, the look on her face kind of gave it away that something wasn't right. And then she went and got her boss and he looked at the scans and said, can you do a 3D ultrasound on her? So she did that. And then he came back and immediately after she was done, she just straight face, I'll be right back and walked out of the room. And I'm like, what is going on? Yeah. Yeah. And the doctor came back in and said, I really need to biopsy this. So they got me in like a day or two later and Mm -hmm. they did the biopsy. And it's crazy because the lumps were so small that they were shocked that I even found them. But they had spread already so much that thank God I did. And I don't, yeah. And my OB told me when I saw her a year later that she changed the way she practices medicine because of me, because she didn't believe me right away. And she just thought, oh, whatever, you're fine, you're fine, you're fine. Well, I wasn't fine. And right. I, she told me flat out if I hadn't, if she hadn't listened to me, that I would be dead right now because it was spreading so fast. And so I'm very thankful she listened. Yeah, I'm very thankful she listened. 
<laughs> oh my goodness. I mean, I think like I've had so many health issues too over the, you know, past like 10 years or whatnot that I really learned like you have to be an advocate for your own health and it's really difficult. And I, and I think sometimes like it's hard because you don't know exactly how to do that. And like, I'm a very soft-spoken person. I'm pretty passive, like, you know, but I feel like for you, like you and your gut, you felt like you knew your body was kind of doing different things and you're like, this isn't normal. And like you really pressed and and got her attention and thank God you did because it saved your life, you know? And I too, like, I mean, I have, I have a small lump as well. And thankfully up to this point, it's been benign, but the feeling when you have to go in and you have that appointment and you get your little, you know, robe or whatnot that you put on and you're in that waiting room. And I'm just looking at all these women in there and just thinking like, some of us are going to leave with a sigh of relief. And some of us are going to leave with the worst news of your entire life. So how was your support system, I guess, because you're going through relationship issues at the time too. Like, did that bring you closer? Did it, you know, bring you farther apart? Luckily, it ended up bringing us closer. I mean, we're still married and he supported me throughout the entire process. He took care of our son when I couldn't. He was going out buying groceries and anything I needed, he was there. The day I was diagnosed, he had started a new job at a new company. So it was terrifying for me to tell him. And I was scared that his job wouldn't understand, but luckily they were amazing and would let him work from the hospital when he needed to or work from home. So yeah, that in that aspect, I'm really surprised because I met so many women along my treatment journey where their husbands cheated on them during while they were going through breast cancer or left them or just a plethora of like horrible story after story. And I just, I feel so lucky that I have a good one (laughs) who was there. (laughs) Wow. Like I didn't even like think about stuff like that happening after you have like this most devastating news that you've ever received. And then you are going through this terrible time and that happened. Oh my goodness. And then like also on the topic, there really isn't a handbook for a loved one who is helping support somebody go through cancer. You know, if you're in a relationship with somebody who is an alcoholic or something, there's, you know, meetings and support and things like that, that happen to help, you know, nurse that person back to health or, or yeah. whatnot. Like is, is there similar things for, you know, when your loved one is going through cancer, do they offer that type of support at the hospital? They do. They offer support groups for caretakers and they offer a ton of support groups for cancer patients. I found though for myself that I had to step back from those because Mm -hmm. so many people, and I don't say this in a hurtful way, but so many people going through cancer are just angry and they have every right to be angry. Mm and they're negative and it's hard to be around. And I tried so hard to be positive and so hard to see the good things and just to keep my my state of mind in a healthy place. And mm. so personally for me, I, I couldn't be a part of it. My family and my mom basically moved in and <laughs> she yeah. was coming back and forth between Reading and Roseville 
on a weekly basis almost. So she was here, she was doing all the cooking and cleaning, also helping with Corey and just, she was amazing. My sister was here, she'd do the same thing. They would take me to my appointments mm-hmm. because I couldn't really drive at the time. Because chemo, there is a thing called chemo brain and some people like, nah, whatever, it's not real. No, it is 100% real. There would be times where I'd be in the middle of a conversation with somebody and then I would just stop talking and stare at them. And I'm like, what was, what, what were we talking about? What did I say? <laughs> so many times that I just look at, it happened with my mom a lot and I would just say, chemo, I don't know. I don't know what's happening right now. <laughs> Can we pick this up later? <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, but as far as the support system, I had so many people surround me and love me and and you and Hope sent me alcohol. <laughs> we did. <laughs> We're like, I'm gonna pop this bottle. <laughs> and, and I did after. Said, yeah. Oh my God. I know. Yeah. I no. mean, it's one of those things too, like you, you know, you don't know what to do or how to support. I mean, it's very similar to when somebody loses a loved one or whatnot, like there just aren't words, you know what I mean? And you wish you could do something, but there's really nothing you can do, but just kind of be there and be accessible and support from afar and and send prayers and, and healthy vibes. But for women out there who may think that they have a lump or like, what do, what do you suggest to catch this type of thing? Because I know, you know, they tell us every October during Breast Cancer Awareness Month, you know, do your self exams or whatnot. But you know what, how many, how many women actually do that? Yeah. So I mean, I am odd because I've been doing it since I was a kid and that's a whole nother long story you already know, but I've been, (laughs) I've always done them. And so I knew that something was wrong with my body. And the one thing I can say is if you don't know what's normal for your body, your doctor's never going to know. You see your OB up once a year. So check your body. I had happened to be losing weight and I don't know if it was because at the time I was working out so hard and eating really strictly, or if it was from the cancer, but, or it could have been a combination of all of it. But I know that's how I ended up finding it was I, my breasts had gotten a little smaller and I could feel it distinctly for myself. And I knew this is not normal. And I, I check myself every day. I still do. And I highly recommend women, you have to learn your own body. Because like I said, if you don't know what's normal, your doctor is not going to know. They're doing their exam from what they were taught. Mm -hmm. Just because it says in a textbook, oh, you have to look for this, this, and this. If it's not normal for you, have it checked. Like that, just have it checked and push. Because like I said, my doctor wasn't going to listen to me. Mm -hmm. And thank goodness she did. Yeah. Well, and it's amazing too that that made her change her practice. So now that, you know, you're, you're cancer free, how do you maintain a positive mindset and keep your brain from going down a path of what happens if this comes back or that type of thing? Because, you know, I've been talking a lot lately about like overthinking in other areas of our life, but I, I am a firm believer in like the universe and what you put out there. And, you know, if you're always talking in the negative or you're always talking about being broke, you're going to be broke. Right. Which is like right now during the coronavirus, I'm like, the more we continue <laughs> to talk about it, people, the longer <laughs> it's going to be here. So I'm like, eh. but you know what I mean? Like, how do you mentally, how do you mentally keep your mind strong? 
strong. And if you start to go down a path, then correct it so that you don't allow yourself to go down that, you know, kind of rabbit hole. So honestly, it's really hard. I've already had, I've had a few scares already and had to be retested. It's hard, but I don't want my son to see me constantly being worried about getting cancer. I don't, that whole experience was so traumatic for him. And Mm -hmm. being five years old, I can't even imagine seeing my mom the way that he had to see me. But for them, I try really hard to keep that positive mentality. And I look toward the future and we're making plans. We're making moves. We both just got a really huge promotions in our jobs and I keep goals for myself and we're in the process of purchasing our second home and things like that, that I just, I look toward the future. I try not to dwell on the past Mm. and there's times where people want to talk to me about cancer and it's fine. I'm all about it because I feel like the more you talk about it, the more it's getting out there and people realize, oh my goodness, somebody at 35 can get breast cancer. Mm-hmm. And because, you know, a lot of people think that's an old lady thing. Right. Or, it's and not. especially if you, right. And especially if you had no family history, you, you know, didn't do any of the things that put you, quote unquote, you know, at risk. So, I mean, yeah, like it, it's, it's crazy, but it can happen to you. And I think the important thing here and what you're trying to convey, and, and it's great that you're sharing your story is that, you know, you have to listen to your body. And then if you notice something, you have to take action, regardless of how old you are, how healthy you are, you know, how often you exercise, what type of foods you put in your body. I mean, I'm sure also after this experience, it's changed your outlook on diet and everything, right? So I know um, from, you know, other friends who've who've had cancer too, like it feeds off of sugar. So Mm -hmm. how do you kind of balance that? And does it also, you know, play a role in the diet and the meals that you prepare for your family? Yeah, diet's huge. I I was already kind of crazy about food prior to being diagnosed. I was, I wanted clean, everything clean, organic foods, stay away from processed foods, artificial sugars, but no way. And I still eat that way. I have cut. So before I loved sugar, I loved candy. I was a candy fiend and I don't, I don't eat it at all anymore. I'll eat fruits vegetables to get my sugar that way. But as far as that, yeah, I stay away from that. I try and stay away from processed foods a lot. I went grocery shopping today and I was kind of giggling at my basket because it was like all veggies. <laughs> so <laughs> probably um, all available right now, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's, the can, it's the canned food and the frozen section that's all gone. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I don't do a lot of canned stuff. I, I do mm-hmm. things from scratch. So like my pasta sauces are from scratch. My anything, everything's from scratch just because I, I know, and I can control what's actually going into the food. So mm-hmm. yeah. And that aspect, I try really, really hard. And my son's really good because when he was a baby, I did the same thing. I made all his food from scratch. So he didn't get like the bottled baby food or anything. Not that there's anything wrong with that stuff. It's perfectly fine. But I just wanted to control what was going in his body mm-hmm. and to just give him that, um, a good appetite because I used a lot of seasonings and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So he loves like flavorful food. So mm-hmm. it's it's easier now that he eats what we eat. So. 
Has he ever spoken to you or asked you questions about that time of life when you were going through treatment or is it just kind of like an unspoken? Yes, he has. And, and I hope I welcome it. And I, because if he just keeps it inside, I don't think that's healthy for him. And Mm -hmm. so I've always ever since the beginning of all of that starting, you can always talk to me. And so, and he, when he was really scared to hug me when I came home from surgery because he thought he was going to hurt me. And then he warmed up and was like, okay, I'm not going to hurt my mom. Yeah. And then after I got my port in, he accidentally fell on me. And (laughs) so then he was terrified to touch me because I had to go get it checked to make sure he didn't dislodge it. And, and he said that when he saw me without my hair for the first time, that he was so scared and he was so scared of me and that I looked really scary. (laughs) So I, you know, and it's one of those things that like, it's hard to hear, but I want him, I want him to be open and honest about it. Cause it is, I look at some of those pictures of myself from back then and I'm like, I, I look scary. It wasn't. It wasn't my best day. <laughs> yeah. Well. So, yeah. So he he even recently brought it up and just said, "Mommy, I was so scared. I was so scared that you were gonna die." And that oh, just is so hard because he's so young and it's not fair. It's okay. not fair for him that he had to deal with that and that he's still traumatized by it. So mm. yeah. So it's hard. I, I bet. But I mean, the, the good news is that you are healthy and you are here and you get to be his mommy and it's a beautiful thing. And you guys are going to have a wonderful future together. And, you know, hopefully, you know, you sharing your message today can help somebody else who either is in the midst of going through, you know, chemo or radiation or maybe they just got diagnosed, or maybe they think that they might have a problem, but they're too scared to, you know, go to the doctor and get checked out. And I think like we were just talking, you know, with our group of girlfriends from high school. And it's interesting. Like I've, I think my mom just growing up, she was so, you know, routine about dentists and doctor's appointments and all of that, that I've maintained that throughout my adult life. So Mm -hmm. I'm like very on a schedule, but it's not, you know, uncommon for women to just not go. And and I think that's the scariest part is like, you got to go because if you go and you do have a problem and you go soon enough, then they can catch it and they can do things to either prolong your life or save your life. But if you don't go and, and you wait till it gets to a point that, you know, there's nothing they can do. I mean, that, that's, that's the real scary part. Yeah. And there's a misconception out there that breast cancer is curable. It is to a point. Mm-hmm. And I am lucky enough that I was at a point that if I hit the five-year mark, they considered me cured. And I am I'm getting close. Mm-hmm. I'm not quite there yet. But if you wait and you wait and you wait and you wait and you end up being stage four, there is no cure for stage four. That's at this point, they don't have, they have things to, like you said, maintain you mm-hmm. for a little bit. But once it's spread into your brain, once it's spread into your lungs, yeah, there's nothing they can do. 
So yeah, going to the doctor is important. Definitely. And I mean, right now when people, you know, are at home and our schedules are different and I know not all medical facilities are open, but like, I think people should just, you know, start to plan when you're going to go make a phone call, schedule the appointment because, you know, there's no excuse not to, like, you just need to get it done and you just need to get checked out just for peace of mind and to make sure everything is okay. Yeah. And when you call to make, if let's say you find something that's not normal, Mm -hmm. tell them and say, this isn't normal. I have a lump in my breast or there's a a type of breast cancer. There's so many types of breast cancer too. I had no idea. Inflammatory breast cancer. There's a type that can be on top of your skin and it basically is eating away at your breast tissue from the outside in. So anything like that, just that's where on the phone I would push with the people Mm -hmm. making the appointments, especially right now because things are so crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Most definitely. Well, Jenny, thank you so much for sharing your story and just being such a light. And I am so glad that you're here with us. Oh my God. And I am just so thankful to still be friends with you after all these years. I mean, to think that, you know, God, the things that we were doing back then. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) Right. I'm like, very incriminating, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh! But if if our friendship can survive all of that and be friends <laughs> this day, then amen, sister. <laughs> oh, and friends for uh, life. <laughs> yeah. Thanks for tuning into your Such a Catch. If this episode hit home, make a choice today to be in charge of your own health and wellness. Schedule an appointment with your OB, reevaluate your diet, examine the toxins you're consuming, whether through the body or the mind, and make some changes. Now is the time. We're all taking precautions with COVID-19, adjusting our lifestyles and doing what we can to remain healthy. Let's not forget that every year, over 40,000 women die of breast cancer. We need to practice precautions against the disease and increase our chances at beating it by catching it early. Don't make me hold your hand, but you know I would. All right, until next week.